0: Or be present to win. Visit LampkinGuitars.com to scope out the hemp guitar giveaway details and entry form. You'll even find a video of what could be your guitar in action. L-A-M-K-I-N-Guitars.com If you're a cannabis business owner looking to expand into new markets and need guidance and support you can trust, consider Collateral Base a group that has done it before in multiple merit-based and limited market states. Collateral Base was founded by an experienced cannabis attorney with highly educated consultants with master's degrees and years of experience in the cannabis industry. The Collateral Base team is confident they know cannabis licensing better than any of their peers. And I encourage you to see for yourself. It just takes one phone call. If you're ready to expand your cannabis business into new limited markets, contact Collateral Base today at 309-306-1095. That's 309-306-1095. Or visit collateralbase.com.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to another episode of Everything is Personal. A very special episode, unplanned doing this this way, but because you will see this probably after the Super Bowl, but it became a Super Super Bowl special show because we have a special guest uh, who's uh, Chef Matthew Peterson, who's the Director of Manufacturing for Juicy Holdings and is wearing an Eagles hat, made me put on my Eagles gear as well. So we'll have uh, an Eagles uh, championship a celebration probably hopefully
2: how's it hope going so. hope
1: so uh so
2: you grew up in philly right yeah what what part of philly did you grow up in we were we lived in the, the northern suburbs of philadelphia um better known as bucks county right. um grew up in a one-stop-light town named dublin in between okay. doyle's town and, and percosy and um yeah it's a very small town middle of nowhere um you know, it's uh, very Burb-like, but we would spend a lot of time going down to the city and go to Veterans Stadium and, you know, watch the Phillies, watch the Eagles. Um, you know, I, I was big into basketball when I was a kid, so we would always be at the spectrum watching the Sixers. And um, yeah, I just, I have an insane amount of pride and love for the city that I, I come from. And um, yeah, it's it's something I've carried with me and have transferred to my, my children and my wife even though she is uh from new england being a uh you know patriots fan most of her life so uh yeah it's caused some conflict in our family but hey you know it's it's all in good fun so because uh
1: the eagles played the patriots last time they won i uh, how how was that uh, environment in the house watching a game with your wife it
2: was uh <laughs> special to say the least because <laughs> you know i i being a philadelphia fan you you you've just kind of grown up not to say to be a loser but like you've just never won anything you know what i mean so i i i never knew what that felt like so i never um really considered that we could actually win the super bowl or world series or anything like that you know we've gotten multiples in the last couple decades so um yeah that 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 game was just incredible with especially how the season panned out and it it kind of broke up that that multiple run of the Patriots. I think they had, you know, if they had won that one, it would have been five in a row, but we, 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 you know, impeded on their, their win streak. And, you know, to this day, it just rubs Patriots fans the wrong way. So when they see me strolling around town in my Eagles gear, I get looks every single which way. And I just love it because it just is like, "Mm
1: -hmm." (laughs) mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I love that too.
1: That's, that's great. Uh, So, yeah, I I lived in uh, Bucks County, I grew up in Northeast Philly. Okay, yeah. Uh, and I went to high school in Philly. I went to three different ones like one in North Philly High School of engineering and science, but I graduated from Northeast High and I went to Temple, but I li- okay. I moved to Bucks County so I lived in the Holland Richboro area so I Yeah, to, right. I know the area you're talking about. Uh what was your childhood like? Do you have uh brothers and sisters? Or-
2: yeah, I got two younger sisters. Um, they both actually just moved back to the area. Um, uh, my youngest sister, she was in Colorado for multiple years. Um, her and her significant other opened a, uh, a food hall called Rosetta Hall. You know, it's, it's very much like Italy, um, but not necessarily Italian focused. So that's been a good success for them. And I think they moved back to the Philadelphia area to potentially open one of those locations. And uh, my other sister was living in Toronto for probably three or four years. Um, her husband um, is in cannabis research, psychedelics research, um, you know alternative metals, fuels, stuff like that. So he studies the stock market and and those types of, of products and to to see where they go and you know just kind of learn more about them. So he's been a, a good resource for me in the cannabis industry. Um, but yeah, they they both moved back recently and my mom kind of, you know, was like, all right, well, when are you coming home? It's like, "Eh, I think I kind of like where I'm at right now. You know, we, we enjoy the New England area. You got the beach nearby, you got the mountains nearby. So, you know, um, yeah, my childhood was, um, you know, rife with craziness and, and, um, you know, getting in trouble with my friends and, you know, just doing stuff you're not supposed to do. So, um, it, it it was tumultuous at times, but, you know, no different from most other kids growing up in the suburbs. Yeah. Yeah. You come from a food family, right? Yeah, for sure. So um, is it baking? Yeah, definitely baking. You know, I think uh, growing up in the 80s, um, you know, a, a lot of the food was canned. You know, you, you pulled most of your meals out of the out of the cabinet. And I, I think my mom you know, did that to an extent here and there when she needed to. But for the most part, they were cooking from scratch all the time. So we always had something going on in the kitchen. And especially when it came to baking and, you know, it was more so my mom's side of the family, my grandmother, her sisters. Um, when they would get together, man, we would have some some amazing spreads of desserts. And, and um, you know, I always love to bake at home, just making cookies, you know, tall house chocolate chip cookies with my sisters. And, I don't know man it uh it just always struck a chord with me and i think at a young age i knew that i i enjoyed that it was something that i really found a lot of comfort with and um it uh it kind of blossomed from there and you know it's it's been really uh amazing so far it's been a wild ride so you kind
1: of went baking versus cooking and right, and that's because uh is so this is my experience of baking. I love to cook, but baking it's it's too like you have to follow the recipe i I like to freestyle,
2: but yeah,
1: baking is like if you don't follow it to the T, you mess up, so was that yeah. part of the uh, the attraction to that like i I really can stick to this and then get out the product of a
2: sort of envision and then not, and then freestyle within that, or not necessarily in the beginning, it's like, um you know there aren't too many jobs for for people who want to do you know desserts or or baking or anything like that like I, i'm sure i could have found a job at a bakery but um I ended up finding a job at a caterer as a dishwasher um, and you know within a couple months i was working in their prep kitchen peeling shrimp cutting vegetables etc and just realized that i was pretty good at it and um you know my family started looking at the different colleges that were around and we took a trip up to Rhode Island Check out Johnson and Wales for a weekend, and found out about this this program where you could skip your senior year in high school and go to college. So it was like, all right, you know let's let's explore that a little bit more. But um, you know, it was, I, I've always loved science. I've loved math, but I, I don't think I made the connections that like, hey, baking is science, baking is math. Yeah, you're good at those things. Take that path. It was more like, hey, I love to eat cookies. Um, I might be good at this kind of thing. So. Um, it's very exploratory. And you're not really sure how things are going to pan out. But I think it's just like anything, if, if you are focused and dedicated and passionate, like the success will come. Um, and that is certainly true in my case, because I just put my head down and I went for it. Um, I didn't know what I was going for. But um, I just followed the signs that were placed in front of me and, and just tried to take opportunities when I could. And um, it's, it's just been an amazing ride. And now to be in cannabis, forget about it. It's awesome. But that's a great point that you made because,
1: well, first of all, you know, you said you had some science and math uh, background, but you also knew that you really liked this. So you followed your passion all the way through. Part of it is, uh, you know, luck part of, part of yeah. it is being self-aware because right. a lot of people, you know, I know friends of mine who they picked up a guitar when they were kids and were like, this is it. I'm not going to, I'm just going to play the guitar and do this forever. (laughs) Or, you know, drums. I had a friend of mine who was like drums all the time. And his parents, after he finished school said, you have five years, you either make it. If you don't make it now, you have to go into family business. And I went into family business, unfortunately, but, you know, making it, he still has that passion for it. So being able to push yourself through those obstacles, you know, washing dishes, peeling shrimp, it's just, there's a path. But as long as you stick to that passion of what you uh kind of connected to, that makes sense. A lot of people steer off their path because it gets it's really started. true. And
2: I see that a lot, you know. My previous job, I was a, a corporate pastry chef where you know I was responsible for multiple properties, and we would see so many kids coming through the college system that just didn't get it for whatever reason. You know, maybe they were jaded in, in college or or whatever, but you know, the work ethic was just kind of lacking and and a lot of them just assumed like, oh, well, I've got a degree. I'm a chef now. Like, no, that's not how it works. And then when you explain it to them in a reasonable manner, objectively, they like still didn't get it. And, it's, you know, it, that's the thing about the culinary industry is it will chew you up and spit you out without any question. Like it, it does not care who you are, where you come from. Um, and I think that's a really unique thing about it. I'm sure there's other industries like that. But um, yeah, cooking is is very much uh, uh, about emotion and and um, what you put into it. It's not the most conducive uh, industry for family, though,
1: because no. I had a couple of my my friends are chefs and they're like 60 hours a week and and there's levels of stress and all that stuff. It doesn't. You know, then there's substance abuse and drinking and all these oh, yeah. like side effects that I see. Rampant. Uh, exactly. Yeah. It's and it's so uh, l- let me just back up before I jump into yeah, that. After after uh college, was it Marimoto that you went to work at?
2: Yeah, uh Morimoto, uh for Iron Chef Morimoto yeah. in Philadelphia. Yeah. That was um man, I, I I never expected to get that job, you know. I I, I was uh, gonna,
1: I was gonna ask you because because, so, uh, I have a little bit of experience there. I have a friend of mine who had a restaurant in in Philly uh, called Kiso. And it was a sushi restaurant. If I remember correctly, it was a fourth and race. And okay. it, it, great sushi. And then he said Marimoto was, uh, after, you know, he wanted to open up a restaurant, he was traveling on the country and meeting with sushi chefs that he sort of respected or whatever, to ask him, how's the scene there? And he went, met with Alex and, and he said to him, you know, philly it doesn't have a huge sushi at that time it, it wasn't no, it a huge so and he decided to open up his restaurant there and i remember i went i think it was opening night or something that and he was there and he came over and he did this if i remember correctly maybe it wasn't opening night but he did this uh uh spring festival menu and he mm-hmm. would walk over and he asked you but it was, everything was so beautiful with flowers but it was so traditional like it wasn't it wasn't like you know california roles or anything like that that you would yeah, think of yeah. so that's why i want to ask you that must have been a really interesting experience getting that job first of all and then maintaining that because
2: he has like strict guidelines it's, uh that. yeah it, it man it uh you know there's been a few jobs i've had in my career that have really opened up my eyes to what what's out there you know i mean you can only experience so much on the other side of the dining room um and every most most restaurants that i've i've worked at i've eaten at them prior to either applying or going through that process. So I knew kind of what I was getting into. And I remember eating there with my mom before my tasting, you, you'd always have to do a tasting where you do an inter- initial interview and then you go and you cook three, four five courses for their management team. And then they would taste your food and critique it right in front of you. So, you know, my mom and I are, are sitting in Morimoto and we're just, you know, we, we bought every single dessert. We bought a bunch of stuff off the menu and I'm just looking at her like, I can't make this stuff. Like, I, I I don't know how to put wasabi in a tiramisu. Like that's completely foreign to me. But I I I just took what I was good at and I put my own little spin on it. And you know, it, it ended up winning them over and, and they offered me the job. But man, it's so intimidating when you're around people like that because one, they have you know decades of experience on you, and two, they just come from a, a different part of the world that. I didn't necessarily understand. So, uh, working with all the sushi chefs, like that was really, really so cool. Just see how regimented they are. Like I thought I was regimented in what I did, but watching these dudes, like they took it to another level and man, it really instilled a precision and an understanding in repetition and, and, you know, being comfortable in doing the same thing day in and day out. Um, really, really eye opening experience and but then, when like Morimoto would come into the restaurant, man, it would just elevate things to another level, and everybody'd be on edge like yeah it was and it was the same thing when I worked for Daniel Belo, like he would come into the kitchen and it, it you know it was like a bomb went off, it was like everybody's running around scrambling, trying to put things together, and yeah working um for, now, that's in daniel right
1: could yeah, Daniel, saying, daniel Balloud, he owns yeah, and
2: then, and then there was another one. La
1: was did you work at am I pronouncing it right? Uh there was a restaurant
2: called La Croix. La Croix That's Philadelphia right. also. Yeah. That's so right. I went there after Morimoto. Um so Morimoto was very Japanese focused and then La Croix was uh French focused, um, which is, you know, more of my wheelhouse, but um Man, I, I loved learning all the stuff at, at Morimoto because it was just a whole different world of flavor. And it was just awesome. The,
1: the combinations. It's so interesting that you mentioned putting wasabi in your dessert, like who would think of that stuff?
2: And then, and then
1: the, the regimen of, as you said, doing the same thing over and over with pride, but there's yeah. rules to that stuff. I, I watched this documentary on the sushi chef uh, and uh, they were saying every little thing, like, like even the way your chopsticks have to lay, they lay parallel, not, not this way. Like we do yep. a perpendicular in a, in a, in America and you can't, uh, if you dip your fish in soy sauce, you don't, you don't dip it rice. You dip it fish side and you can't like, you can't dr- make it drip. Yeah, so yeah. You, you you dip it and then you eat it. If it drips, it drips. That's a, it's impolite to do that. All these it different is. rules. I was like, wow. So not only you're cooking with crazy different flavor mix, but you have to maintain a certain you know process and rules to to that cooking, right?
2: The traditions are yeah. um, really, really interesting and and you know leave you pondering at times, but also being like, All right, well, they're on to something because you know the Japanese have had this amazing culture for centuries, and you know it's something I've always looked to with respect. Um, but to see it firsthand, like even these guys sharpening their knives every single night, like the same way they'd all go to the same station and and they would all do it the same way, and just learning from them in that manner was like, okay, I'm ready for whatever challenge comes my way. If I can work with these dudes, like I got anything. <laughs> so, so, how how important? Is like the aesthetic of a dessert, you know, versus the flavor. Almost almost more important than the flavor, honestly. Um, because people expect desserts to look great. And if they don't, um, it kind of fails. You know, it, it could taste good. Um, but if, if it could if you can have the combination of of aesthetics and flavor, like you've nailed it. There there's uh
1: am trying to remember the guy's name, but I think his name is um Omri. Amari, um, uh, French chef. He had a he had a show on Netflix uh, uh, where he he's a chocolatier. He makes all okay. these crazy Amari oh, Gichon. Amari, yeah, Amari yeah. yeah. Gichon. Yeah, man, the wizard! Wow, unbelievable stuff. Like you don't even care how the food tastes. Like you don't care, but the <laughs> shit that he makes is like holy shit. It's on a different planet. Like it's it's it such really an art is. form.
2: It is, yeah. He he, I think is a sculptor first. But knows how to manipulate chocolate and, and put these different forms together that look very much like the real thing. It's really incredible. So after uh, I think
1: you're working at Daniel in the, in New York, yeah. how did this Top Chef desserts, how did that even
2: happen? How did they come around? They actually came to me. Um, i When I heard about the first season coming out, I thought, you know, maybe this could be something I would want to go after. But I wasn't sure I wanted to see how the first season went. And and after watching the first season and talking with friends in the industry, it was like, man, that was a shit show. Like, I I would never go on that. That's a complete disaster. I can't believe some of the things they've had to do. But Uh, I heard they were casting for the second season and I knew they were having trouble finding the talent that they wanted. And somebody from their recruiting agency called our hotel because, you know, they're looking at the cities. So they're like, okay, well, who's at the top restaurants in these cities? Let's call them up. Um, and that's basically what happened. So our, the PR agent for the hotel came and said that they were interested in, in casting me. Would I be interested in doing that? And, you know, I gave it some thought. I said, why not? Let's go for it um you know so you have to submit all these application videos you know and there's a stress test and there's all this stuff that you have to go through wait, yeah, wait. there's um, a stress test oh yeah oh yeah they no. put me on a treadmill and tried to make me pass out man they wanted to see what they just want to see how you do under pressure is that it yeah. <laughs> oh man
1: i never thought about that that's pretty interesting
2: it's, uh, it's it's uh it's some intense stuff and you know after going through it you kind of understand why they make you do those things because they need to know that one, you can make it through the show. And two, you can, you can handle, you know, the amount of stress that filming a TV show is going to put on you because you don't really know what it's like until you do it. Um, so yeah, it was, uh, I, I think they made first contact and about a month and a half later I was in LA filming. Um, so, so, so was how that. was that whole, how was that whole
1: experience, uh,
2: it was awesome. Yeah. Incredible experience. Um, I've made 10 amazing friends. Um, the, the friends that I made that were uh, uh on the crew, the hosts, the judges, um, a lot of those people were folks that I've looked up to my whole career. And then to be shoulder to shoulder with them, um, you know, as, as a colleague was really sobering and and humbling and you know, just made me feel like I belonged and like, you know, this this was something special was it like uh was it a lot of uh uh
1: wait like do you dis- oh, yeah. wait till next one like hurry like, up slowly? slow down hurry up
2: slow down yeah that's, yeah that's exactly what it was like um there were a lot of instances where we weren't allowed to talk to each other um because they wanted to get some of those conversations on film so if we were going from site to site you know we would be talking and they'd be like no you have to shut up you're not allowed to talk wait until hold it until we get there we're like no but we want to talk about it now <laughs> they wanted to get it Um, all on film Yeah. yeah they wanted to get it all on film and you know there were a lot of times where they would they would poke and try and get things to happen because obviously drama sells especially on a reality tv show so there was one instance i can remember i think it was episode two or three um where we had to make a wedding cake and i was really unhappy with how my cakes came out so i dumped them in the trash and i started over and i remember immediately the film guy had his camera in the trash can and the, the producer was in my face. Like, why'd you throw that out? And I was just like, I wasn't happy with it. And they kept poking me. I wasn't happy with it. And they, I just wouldn't give them what they wanted. And I think that pissed <laughs> them off. But I wasn't about to jump into their drama because I had to focus, man. I had, I had a task at hand and right. it was make a cake. That was delicious. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, of course, drama sells. They try to do that. Oh, do, they yeah. try to, do they try to do that with other contestants and uh, try to pile oh, yeah. up some stuff? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Um, yeah, I think they would partner certain people together to see what things would happen. And, you know, I think we were, uh, we were a group that weren't necessarily into the drama. We were there for a reason. So I think in some ways it, it kind of had the show you know, a little bit flat feeling, um, which is why I don't think they did a third season after that. And, you know, dessert shows are very hard to film and produce. I think food network has kind of figured out a formula with their holiday baking championships. Like that really works. But I think, I think with the format of top chef and how that show is, is constructed, it doesn't really work for a dessert themed, um, approach. Yeah. I think, the British baking show—I
1: forgot what yeah, the name. Of it. they've they, got it down. Yeah, they definitely have it down. And and the way the judges like judges don't talk like that in in America in these shows, it's a it's a whole different thing. Uh, <laughs> so you you got to the finale, so yeah. Was yeah. So I made it to the finale. Yeah. Right. So do you think that if you would have uh, infused uh, some cannabis <laughs> in there, you could have won?
2: <laughs> Man, I'd love to think so. <laughs> I think I want to had him so jaded that I'm like, yeah, just give it to that guy. over there." <laughs> he made us feel really good.
1: <laughs> yeah, I was, I was just I was just thinking maybe there's there a way that you can add some secret ingredients. So
2: speaking of, um, how did you get involved with Jushi? Um, I was in the right place at the right time. I was working for a private company in Massachusetts. Um, we had been licensed for maybe a year and a half. Um, I was hired to develop their entire edibles program. So I built out their kitchen, helped them build out the facility. You know, we built it from the ground up, and um, you know, I, I knew that the owners always had the idea or the intention of of selling because that's why a lot of initial investors get into it is they want to make a flip and and you know get some wealth out of it. I, I'm not in it for those reasons. That's not why I got into it, but I kind of knew that would happen at some point. So. Um, Along that way, I had interviewed with multiple other MSOs, which are also known as multi-state operators. Those are companies that are vertically integrated in, in multiple states. Um, and in those companies, I just never I never felt like it was the right fit. And I kind of always pictured myself with an MSO because I wanted to be able to have a broad impact um, across the country with edibles. And that's been my my steadfast goal. So, you know, Along comes Jushi. Um, I remember a lot of their upper management coming into their into our facility and asking very specific questions. Um, You know, it kind of gave them away. Like I I knew who they were after that, and so I went to the visitors log and I I looked up their names to see who they were, and so I knew something was coming. And um, you know, they ended up buying out our company, and um, you know, it, it made the initial investors you know very happy, and you know, for me, I was happy because. I thought that this was a company that I could help them get to the next level and they could also do the same thing for me. Um, because I knew I had a vision and, and a goal in mind. So, um, yeah, fast forward, uh, it's been about a year and a half now since they, they purchased Nature's Remedy. Um, our, our retail stores are still known as Nature's Remedy here in Massachusetts. We have one in Tingsboro and one in Millbury. Um, but. Uh yeah that's kind of how it came about and I I'd like to think that my part of the operation was a big selling point for them because you know they needed uh a good edibles portfolio and so I think they recognized that strength in us um and I hope that that helped uh solidify the the sale
1: yeah I, I know uh, Trey Neumann uh, yeah from so he he was actually on my show before, but he's uh, oh cool. He's, uh, yeah, he's, he and I connected over music too. I'm a big music guy, so he's awesome. Uh, yeah, same with him. Um, so you said your vision a couple of
2: times. What is that vision for edibles? It's you know, it's things that are approachable. It's things that are recognizable. Um, things that are comfortable. I think they should also be things that aren't necessarily made with a bunch of um, refined sugars. Um, I think there's a lot of products on the market that, that are saturated in sugar, you know, so they, um, you know, they can have high fructose corn syrup, lots of preservatives, et cetera. Um, but I wanted to kind of take the approach of, of food and what I've built my career on and bring that to, the edibles arena um and certainly there's there's tons of products out there that are similar to what i do I'm, I'm i'm by no means making anything exclusive or unique or um anything that that isn't in another market but i think what we do differently though is we use the the best ingredients we can possibly get and and treat them with respect and you know uh, manipulate them in a very personal way so that you know what our intention is in the beginning is reflected as, as a finished good, um, as a packaged product. Um, you know, and that's kind of the, the overarching theme, um, for our product line. And then also, you know, everybody who works in our kitchen and our extractions department, they all share that kind of, um, mentality and focus, um, and, and love for cannabis. Um, yeah, it's, uh, there's a lot to offer out there, and I think we're just scratching the surface. So, I guess over the years uh, you've experimented
1: before at home sure. and stuff with uh, with cannabis with edibles. Uh, do you remember what was Ooh. the very first thing that you made uh, with uh, with cannabis? Was it, was it brownies?
2: <laughs> <laughs> Luckily, no, it was not brownies. Uh, it was definitely chocolate chip cookies. Going back to like one of my childhood favorites. Um, yeah, it. um, it didn't turn out so good. It, it tasted like weed, but um, I can't say that it had the effect I was going for. Um, you, but, you, you didn't decarboxylate properly. When you- <laughs> it just tasted like grass. It was like, All right. Well, it tastes like there's something in there. So maybe we'll get high off this. I don't know. <laughs> so, so then, then uh, next time you're like, I'll make the butter
1: instead and use oh, the yeah. butter
2: infused butter
1: with the, the cookies.
2: Yeah, we've, we've done that. We've put the straight decarb flour in there. You know, we we tried every which way. We've made tinctures. Um, yeah, all sorts of different methodologies. The whole edible thing is
1: is interesting to me. First of all, I, I commend you for the ingredient thing because there's so much shit ingredients in ed- in and and right. edibles. People just take stuff and like, well, just put some weed in it, and all people care about is getting high. Yeah. But the taste is so important. I, I really don't like. Edibles that much for various reasons. First of all, you know, dosing is always challenging. Second they of all,
2: yep.
1: yeah. I I personally I don't eat I don't eat sugar, but I will have once in a while, you know, a good sugar, but nothing with corn syrup, nothing of that nature. Right. And if you look at most of the edibles that are out there, they're they, like not even talking about baked goods, like starting with gummies and starting with yeah. all those kinds of products and moving to you know chocolates, and there's you know companies that've been around for years who make chocolates that really don't even taste uh, good, but you know they're they're infused and all that stuff. So so having a visual aspect, as you mentioned first, having taste, and then the other thing that I think you I, I read somewhere that you said is you want to use the entire plant uh, in some of your edibles. Is, is that is that
2: correct? Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, you know the one thing that you touched on right there about taste. I mean we're making things that really taste good that just happen to have cannabis in it you know and and that's been my approach the whole time but you know as far as like a whole plant extract um there's so many benefits to the whole plant you know and and the product that's primarily used in infusions is called distillate and that's essentially THC stripped from the plant with no other terpenes or cannabinoids or anything left in there sometimes there's a few cannabinoids left but the majority of them are are so minimal that they don't have any impact on your body. Um, but you know, I'm sure you're familiar with the entourage effect, et cetera. I'm sure there's lots of different names for that whole kind of, um, you know, focus right now. But if you've ever had an edible that's made with a full spectrum extract, as opposed to one that's made with a distillate extract, there is a night and day difference between those things and how they impact you. Um, five milligram, uh, full spectrum, uh, edible will have significantly more impact on your body and how it affects you as opposed to one that's just strictly THC. And the unique thing about that is you can tailor those edibles to have a specific effect for somebody who wants something that's going to help them sleep or something to help them relax or focus or, you know, feel energetic. All of those things can be brought to the forefront by, uh, sourcing cultivars that, that carry those traits. Yeah. Um, and then when, you know, you just get all that flavor, a lot of people don't like the the taste of cannabis and food, but for me, I, I love it. I, I think there, there are a lot of synergies there. And, you know, when you find things that grow together, they taste good together. Um, so it, it, it just, I don't know. It's, it seems like a no brainer to me. So I I really want to push that going forward using products like rosin um, made from bubble hash. Um, You know, we could even just keep it simple and, and do, um, you know, a simple RSO, um, something like that. It, It can really be beneficial in so many different ways. I think the biggest challenge
1: that you, you hit on is taste. And when yeah. you're using uh, you're using flavonoids and you're using terpenes, and then you have ingredients not complementary to that specific right. profile, it actually enhances the taste that you may not want to enhance. And most people are making edibles. They're not necessarily chefs or pastry chefs that then are using cannabis as one of the ingredients. So I think that's one of the challenges. And it's much easier to use you know, an isolated molecule like a distillate because you don't have to worry about taste. Or they start making it, and they're "Well, let's let's use some bitter blocker. Let's use this. Let's use that." And now you're starting getting into chemicals, and it defeats the whole purpose of using this as a therapeutic plan. It's just another way to be able to consume that, where people want something to taste good, and actually, as you mentioned, has an effect.
2: Yeah, I, I agree 100%. You just have to do the research and, and try and find out what flavors complement each other. It's like creating a, a dish of food that doesn't have cannabis. Like, you know, I wouldn't put asparagus with my chocolate. Those things aren't complementary of each other. So find things that complement the, the dominant pro, um, terpenes in that plant and, and bring those to the forefront. And then you'll have this synergy that. it's just like magic when, when you eat it, you know, or smell it like there's the taste is all smell. You know, it's not necessarily all in your taste buds. There's a a olfactory thing going on there. So if it smells good, chances are, it's going to taste good. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that of cheese all the time because there's some funky ass (laughs) cheese out there. The worst smelling, the worst smelling (laughs) cheese is usually the best. (laughs) Absolutely. And plus, hello. (laughs) Um, so yeah, I'm really focused on that going forward. You know, we just got some bubble hash equipment installed in our facility and I'm really looking forward to putting all the different strains in there that we can possibly get our hands on and washing those and pressing them into rosin and then putting that into an edible um, because this is all exploratory for me too. Like, I don't know what what Northern Lights chocolate would go best with. I have no idea. I know that Northern Lights is spicy, so I might like something a little bit on the, uh, you know, on the sweet side. Is it uh, spicy because it has a lot of beta-caryophylline in it? Exactly. Yeah.
1: So that that's exactly what this, this mindset, and I'm glad we're talking about this because I, I want the whole industry to listen to that this plant has flavor profiles that are specific to those terpenes and flavonoids. And yeah. understanding that, you know, it's spicy. Maybe... Uh, spice, and maybe add some more pepper. I don't know. I'm not. I'm not a, a baker, but I'm saying that the complementing those kind of uh, ingredients and putting them together makes a lot of sense. The plant itself tastes and smells different. Every single cultivar does, and I, I think people
2: just you know it's easier to strip all that out and, and throw it into. It is, table. and it's kind of sad in a way. You know, I, I, we're 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 not doing our best job um, servicing the plant and, and everything that it offers, you know, in fact, we're doing it a disservice. And I'm not saying that there isn't a place for distillate or anything like that, because there certainly is. Not everybody likes the taste of cannabis with their food, but I think if we approached it differently and, and tried to make those things complement each other, perhaps those folks would have a different impression at that point. Um, so a couple of questions about the actual, uh, you know, what you're actually making, uh, yeah.
1: so you're making, are there, chocolate bars or what are the, some of the, the desserts that you or the edibles that you're making?
2: Yeah. Right now we, um, we are making four different types of, of fruit chews. They're pectin based. They don't have gelatin in them. So, right. um, they're vegan, you know, they're made with all natural fruit puree from France, um, single origin fruits, um, the best of the best, um, you know, they are made with refined sugar, but I'm trying to make a move to go to organic sugar so that we're at least, you know, being sustainable for, you know, the forests and all the agriculture. Um, two of those, no, three of those have added um, isolates in them. So CBD or CBN, um, one of them is a one-to-one. They also have um, different mixtures of terpene. So they're kind of effects-based um, products. And that is really fun, too. I, I wish they were cannabis-derived terpenes. Um, they're not, but that's okay. That doesn't mean that they don't have the same impact and value that, you know, cannabis-derived terpene would. Um, but I think they enhance the flavor, number one, which is the most important to me. Um, and number two, they actually taste really good. You know, you, you, mm-hmm. I think because we're using natural fruit puree, you're getting a different mouthfeel, you're getting a different flavor profile, and those things together can mask the flavor of that distillate without having to use a bitter blocker, as you mentioned. Yeah. Um, as far as the chocolates go, you know we're using um, chocolates sourced from France. Again, single-origin chocolates. Um, these are responsibly sourced. Um, Valrhona has been in business for decades, and they're definitely at the forefront of, of uh, commercial chocolate produ- production. Um, they take care of their farmers. They take care of the land that those farmers uh, are responsible for. And you can really taste the terroir in their chocolates. Um, you know, the, the, my favorite one is their Guanaja. That's, that's what we would call our dark chocolate. So that's a 70% chocolate. It's got really nice notes of of red fruit. It's got a very bitter finish to it. It's very clean, very strong cocoa flavor up front. Um, you cannot taste any cannabis in this chocolate at all. Um, and for good reason. I mean, it's, it's a really magnificent chocolate and it allows the flavors of the chocolate to shine as opposed to, you know, somebody else's product who might use like a coating chocolate, which isn't really chocolate. Um, yeah. it's like brown colored wax that <laughs> has like flavor in it. Um, you know, and the majority of producers are, are using that. Yeah. um, but we just came out with a mint chocolate bar that uh, is, was inspired by the Andes mint bars. Um, so it's a blend of milk chocolate. It's a blend of white chocolate. We put some vanilla bean in there. Um, really, really nice vanilla bean. And we're using a, a natural vin- um, mint extract in there. And it, it tastes like an Andes mint. It has the texture of it. Um, we're really uh, excited about that one. Yeah, I love that.
1: I, I, I know what you're talking about because I went to... Hershey University with my daughter, oh, and I yeah. was taught all about it. I got a certificate, and I was taught <laughs> that white chocolate is not really chocolate. No, nope. so it was all sugar and milk. But yeah, dark chocolate is definitely the way to go. Uh, being part of an MSO and and having so much care for the products that you're you're creating, how do you maintain consistency and standards across you know different states?
2: Um, well, that's actually a great question. We're getting ready to launch our products in Virginia very soon. They have, uh, the second floor of their production facility getting finished out. We've got a bunch of new equipment in there. Um, our Ohio facility is pretty much built out already, but, you know, I think the thing that, that would resonate with me is, is just having a clear focus and a clear goal in mind. Um, and then, you know, impressing that upon the people who are making those things and trying to instill in them a sense of pride and ownership in all of those things that you create, because you know what bar number one should be just as good as bar number 10,000. Like, because if, if, if they, they aren't, then you failed. And I'm sorry to say that, but that's the truth. So you really have to to have a passion and and a love for what you're doing because one, it is very repetitive. You're doing the same thing over and over and over, but for me, I find a sense of comfort in that, and knowing that somebody's going to benefit from having this chocolate bar—it's going to make their day a little bit better or ease their pain or whatever it is. But um, you know, consistency, follow through, and and holding people responsible for their actions are really how you're going to get the best out of them. Um, Accountability is really important, and making sure that everybody's on the same page. And we're all focused on that same goal. That's really what it comes down to. And and then obviously the the other huge part of that is having people around you that share that same vision because guess what? You're only as good as the people next to you. And I've been really lucky to work with some amazing people. We have an amazing team in Lakeville, um, both in our our infused products department and our extraction department. They're all super passionate. And uh, it just makes my job a lot easier because you know I, I get the feed off of them and they get the feed off of me and and together we we get the job done yeah and i think if i can make a suggestion if you don't mind that Please. that that pride
1: in doing something over and over you mentioned marimoto so finding the people that can actually take pride in the journey in the process yeah. and connecting the same outcome now you don't have to do anything because everybody's accountable for their own piece of it because they know that it's going to do x y and z and you take pride in the process and i think uh, you know some of those amazing japanese chefs and uh, they've been able to instill that in everybody with that sense of pride hopefully we can you know replicate that that,
2: yeah uh, yeah i hope so i i'm reminded of um you know, a a little quote from a chef that I used to work for. And, you know, he's, I remember him saying, Matthew, we, we have a really intimate relationship with the people that we make food for because they put that food in their body. Like you cannot get closer to somebody unless you're like a doctor or, you know, they're your significant other. Like, you know, and I was always like, "Hmm, that's kind of crazy." You know, you make food for somebody, and and they end up eating it, and they they could get really sick from that, especially if they had an allergy. So, there's an insane amount of responsibility in the production of food. Whether you're, you know, you're a manufacturer of spices like Bob Kraft, or you know, you're you're at a mom and pop restaurant down the street. You know, um, there's so many things that you need to take into consideration, and. I think all of those things are, are heightened when you're in the cannabis space, because you know, you're, you're doing CPG. There's ramifications of not processing things properly. Um, You know, something could sit on the shelf for too long. There's, there's just a lot of different things that I, I hold myself personally responsible for. Um, You know, so if, if something fails down the line, like I take it very personally, what's your favorite dessert to make?
1: (laughs) Seriously? chocolate chip oh cookies i bet i bet it's chocolate <laughs> chip cookies
2: <laughs> i don't think i'm allowed to say chocolate chip cookies right now uh, <laughs> <You can. laughs> uh, to make it, it changes like i i go with the with the tide so um this past weekend my kids and i made a a, a rip-off of a bakery's cookie so this, there's a bakery in disney world called gideon's and they have these massive cookies. Like they're huge cookies. So I found a recipe, and I kind of manipulated it myself, and we made them over the weekend. and i, I I'd say we got like ninety percent of the way there of what these people make in their bakery. And there's a line out the door for this place every single day. So that's what we made this past weekend. So that would probably be my favorite thing. So it's like my favorite thing to make is whatever I'm making with my kids. yeah, that's, well, all right. so, what about what's your favorite dessert to eat? Oh. And would you
1: order, like if you go to a restaurant, do you order dessert? and then Absolutely. Then, and then do you, do you do you then eat it while you're critiquing it as well as you're eating it?
2: Unfortunately, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes people don't like to dine with me because I'll just be like, oh, they did that. Or, oh, there's a fork <laughs> on the floor. Oh, that linen is not uh, ironed properly. Or, you know, that, that waiter's uniforms aren't creased right. Um, I I've always said that I want to enter a restaurant from the back door because if I don't like what I see, I'm just going right back out the front. Um, because you know, people will treat their kitchens, uh, in, in, in a certain way when they don't think anybody's looking. Um, so I, I would say my, my favorite thing to order would probably be like either something very traditional, you know? So if I'm at a French restaurant, I'm going for creme brulee. If you can nail creme brulee, like you can probably do most other things in your repertoire um, because I think the simple things are the hardest ones to do. Yeah, makes sense. All right. So what are some
1: pointers that, since you said it? If I'm going into a restaurant, what should I be looking out for that'll, that'll like ring the alarm and say, ah, maybe this isn't
2: a place. So uh, a, a giveaway right off the bat is, are the menus clean? Do the menus have food on them? Are there fingerprints? Um, you know, look at the floor when you're walking in, even the doors, like, are, is the glass clean on the doors? Um, how does the host stand look? Is the host stand a mess? Uh, is it, is it nice and orderly? Um, and then how are you greeted immediately when you walk into that restaurant? Like, cause if, if people aren't making eye contact with you right away, then I don't know. There's certain things I'll forgive in a restaurant. Um, you can have mediocre food, but really great service. You can have mediocre food and lame service and, or you can have amazing food and lame service. And I would just never go back. I think for me, it's, it's really all about the service and, and, and how I feel as a guest at their restaurant, because ultimately a restaurant is a reflection of, of somebody's home. Like that's how it should be treated. You know, it, it, it doesn't have to be a four-star restaurant to be able to evoke that kind of feeling, um, but I think when when upper management cares, it shows in everybody else at all the other levels. Yeah, I completely agree. It's all about the experience. I'd rather
1: have oh, yeah. I'd rather have mediocre food and have a great experience with a friendly waiter and everybody you know, and they say hello and they greet you. And yeah, I completely agree. And, and cleanliness yeah. is key. It's absolutely the key oh my goodness
2: it's uh it, it's the first thing i look at it, everywhere i go it's like it's kind of a problem actually uh but it, it's i, I just know. had
1: that at lunch i just had it i, I was <laughs> i got a cup of coffee and it had some lipstick on uh, the cup mm. like i was like can i get another cup but in the back of my mind everything that I was eating from then on was yes. already i wasn't having a good experience
2: yeah, you you hit the nail on the head because it's like yeah, you could ask for an extra cup, but how do you know they didn't just wipe that one before bringing it? Exactly. Out? We're not even going to go there. We won't go there. <laughs> <laughs> there's a there's a movie called uh, Road Trip, and uh, Horatio
1: Sands plays a waiter. They, it's this movie where they go on a road obviously they go on a road trip yeah, to, go to the right. apologist, But this guy orders uh, uh, his name is DJ Quality, He orders French toast, and they think he didn't want powdered sugar. So Horatio Sands, <laughs> the comedian, comes out. He goes, I'm so sorry about that. Let me let me make sure I'll get you another one. And he comes in the kitchen, and he shows him licking the sugar off. <laughs> and then he throws it in his, in his sweatpants. And he walks out and pours him some more coffee, everything okay. Then he comes oh back out, God, pulls it out of his sweatpants and serves it to him. The kid's <laughs> eating. He's like, oh, that's good.
2: <laughs> so I always have the back of my oh, mind. Man. I'm proud to say I never worked in a restaurant where I saw anything like that happening, <laughs> at least while I was looking around. But um yeah, it's it's uh I'm sure things like that are pretty rampant. <laughs> so what's
1: uh what's what else can we expect in 2023 from you, from Jushi? Uh what are some other elevated cannabis experiences that we're in
2: for? Oh my goodness. Um I'm hoping that we're going to be working on, like we, we were talking about the full spectrum products. So we have those rosin products going. Um, that's where I'd really like to focus because I think you can put rosin in, you know, any type of food product. So, you know, I know there's some, been some talk of like pressed tablets, kind of like sweet tarts. Um, it's a product that, that Juicy had at, at some of their other sites, um, you know, a year or two ago, but, you know, we, we pulled the plug on it cause we wanted to reformulate it and just kind of refocus those things. And, you know, we're obviously rebranding tasteology with, with my product, So, um, you know, I think we're going to look to that area as well. Um, but just doing things, I think that are more in line with a full spectrum product and utilizing the cultivars that each different um, production facility is going to have because we don't have in Massachusetts what they're growing in Ohio or Nevada, for instance. So I think that's where we can really find some um, some variability in our offerings. And then you know I think the other thing I'd love to do is do some regional products, you know, things that are unique to the specific area where these stores are, because. You know, we can offer what we offer here in Massachusetts, but you know what? Down in Florida, they might like, uh, you know, guava cheesecake or or something like that. Um, so, I think regional products would be a lot of fun too. Yeah, I, I love the idea of first of rosin. I think is one of the best ways to consume
1: cannabis because you actually, you know, you're maintaining the integrity of the whole plant. It's and, delicious. Yeah, it's it's a great way to consume. Uh, the one thing that I would I would say is, and you mentioned it briefly therapeutic products. So yeah. a lot of people have a lot of challenges with edibles uh, to begin with. Not only are you getting the 11-oxyhydroxide conversion in your liver when you consume, some people are predisposed to you know, stress, reactivity, anxiety, all these different things. And when you're consuming edibles, it's a different experience in, in your body uh, after it goes through your liver. So having products as you mentioned, one-to-ones, something of that nature, because there really aren't a lot, and especially when states go recreational, like I'm in California, they start forgetting the medicinal products. So we have people that need a medicinal product. They come in and you have as many concentrates you as you have. Shatter, you have you have all these different things, but there's a little tiny shelf for you know, more, more medicinal therapeutic products. So having, right. you know, those yeah. one-to-ones or having those specific, uh, kind of products or maybe lower, uh, THC for some people, uh, would love to see, uh, you know, products like that too.
2: Yeah, I would agree. Um, there's certainly a lot of space out there to make products that, that, you know, can appeal to a broad range of customers. Um, you know, I, I make a lot of my own lotions and stuff at home, CBD based or THC or a combination thereof. And, um a colleague of of mine was just mentioning the other day. I made him you know just a simple salve with some beeswax, coconut oil and and um full spectrum CBD extract. and you never really know how those things are gonna help somebody. Um, you know when i I mean that in referring to the potency of it, so you, you never really know, but anyway to to hear from that person that that they're getting relief in their knees by using that. It's really like, it's really all the thanks that I need, honestly. Like it, it uh, I, I don't know. It's like when I would watch a dessert go out of the kitchen into the dining room and see that person enjoy that food, like that was payment to me. And to hear that people are, are getting relief and comfort from the products that, that we make is, is really special to me. And, and I think we forget sometimes a lot of people you mentioned, like, you know, people get in this business,
1: they want to flip. You forget the reason why you're in this business. Everybody, you know, I've been doing this for such a long time and everybody's like, is the green rush? You're going to make all this money. It's not. And it never was, you know, for some people that, that, you know, there's outliers, but it's about what you just mentioned, the outcome. Like you, what are you in this for? You're, you're helping people to feel better in some way or another, whether they use it as you know, quote unquote, recreational, I don't even like that word. Uh, You're using it for, yeah, you're using it as an adult for whatever reason you're using it for or using it for a therapeutic purpose, that outcome of somebody saying, thank you, you helped me, or this helped me with my headache, or this helped me my knees. That's the reason why we're doing
2: this. It really gives me goosebumps when I think about it, you know, and uh, I, I could honestly say that, you know, as a kid growing up, I, I always kind of felt it's like I, had, I felt about baking. I I always knew I would fall into baking. I didn't know I'd be good at it, but I just knew that that's kind of what I wanted to do. And I think in the back of my head too, I I always knew I'd end up in cannabis um, because you know when it went medical in California in the early two thousands, you like you just kind of knew it was happening. And I was just always preparing myself for that. And then to be in a state where it, it went you know recreationally legal it was like all right let's do this. We're doing this now. Um, and it's, it's been really satisfying. That's great. All right. So I have a few questions. I ask all my guests.
1: Uh, Hit me. Real, Yeah. Let's, let's go real. Let's simple ones. All right. So please describe your very first experience with cannabis.
2: Oh man. I can remember being in my garage after school, parents aren't home, buddy's got a bag. We, we <laughs> we've, we've got the garage door open. Like, you know, four or five inches and we're sitting on the floor like are we doing this right like what the hell is this what is this it literally looks like grass clipping. i have no idea if we got high or not but that was my very first experience with it and i remember looking at my buddy his name's craig he he's still a good friend of mine to this day we're just like this is kind of weird we should let's look for something else you know and and we just started asking around and eventually we found something that was a little more befitting of what we were looking for but um, I'm pretty sure somebody sold us, uh, you know, some, some snips from their backyard there. <laughs> That's funny. Um, I'm a big music guy. So, uh,
1: uh, concerts are a thing that I like to go. Yep. You remember the very first
2: concert you attended? Oh man. Uh, or a memorable one, let's say one of the early well, ones. If you remember. So my folks weren't really into music growing up. I mean, you know, my dad would throw on Eric Clapton here and there, but they never went to concerts when I was a kid. So I I never really got to go to a concert until I was in college. And we would go to small shows. Like I think the first show I went to was a hardcore show, Orange Nine Millimeter. You know, very much a huge mosh pit. And that was just right up my alley. So I I loved that. But the first major, major concert was um, when Wu-Tang was touring with Rage Against the Machine. And I got to see them at Great Woods, which is north of here, like maybe 40 minutes where I live. And it was insane, just off the charts, man, to see Rage Against the Machine live. Like, Wu-Tang was great, but I was really there for Rage. Uh, Let's be honest. Um, Yeah, that was a killer show, man. Yeah, I I saw that that tour, too. I just ran
1: into... Uh, Tom Morello at the CBS nice. not that long ago.
2: No way, dude. Oh, my God.
1: <laughs> and insane. at the Starbucks twice, actually. What? Like
2: <laughs> Does he and, know who you are?
1: <laughs> oh, yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> Came up to me. No, I'm just kidding. That's awesome. All right. uh, do you remember the very first album that you bought? Oh, or a CD? No. Uh, I think it was Michael Jackson, maybe on CD. Um. Is there anything you're listening to these days that uh, you find cool that you want my, to my
2: wife has got me turned on to reggaeton. So a lot of J Balvin, Daddy Yankee, yeah. Bad Bunny. Um, yeah, there's a lot of really good artists with reggaeton. And I've, I've always been a huge hip hop guy. Yeah. Um, so to find reggaeton was like, okay, I can dig this, man. So I, I put it on when I'm working out and uh, it definitely gets the juices flowing. So being a big hip hop guy, did you happen to watch the Grammys uh, and the the 50th? Yeah, we anniversary? caught snippets of it. Yeah,
1: yeah. I, I I didn't watch the whole Grammys. I I just couldn't sit through all the. It. It's that, a lot.
0: Yeah, that it's 50th
2: anniversary, uh, you know, 12 minute or whatever they did. Yeah, I thought that was great. Pretty sick, man. Pretty sick. It reminds me of the Super Bowl last year with Eminem, Dre, yeah. Snoop. True. Awesome. True. Just awesome.
1: Uh. And I and I want to end on the Super Bowl thing, but uh, before I do, my final question. Uh, no, I actually have two: one question <laughs> and one bonus question. Right? All right, cool. All right, what has cannabis meant in your life? Oh, man,
2: that's a really um, it's a it's it, there's an elaborate answer, but you know, cannabis has really been a savior for. Me, in that it's it's given me another platform to work on, you know in in restaurants and fine dining, you kind of hit a ceiling. there's there's not too many other places to go aside from owning your own restaurant. Um, but I think cannabis has been able to give me a different voice to use, which is really special to me. and um it's my my wife has some pretty serious health issues, and for cannabis to help her through those things. Um, and seeing them firsthand, like things that I've made uh, helping her sleep is just amazing. It's, it's absolutely amazing. And I, I couldn't be more, uh, grateful for, for what I have and where I'm at right now. And then, and then thinking about the future, um, yeah, cannabis has afforded me, um, a lot of things and, 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 and they're all very personal. They're not they're not like tangible things. They're like, you know, just, just very personal feelings and, and emotions. Yeah. Not as beautifully said. All right. Bonus question. Please describe what your room looked like growing up. <laughs> <laughs> it was, it was definitely pictures of Charles Barkley, Michael Jordan. Um, yeah, it was just all basketball gear. Cause you know, I was a basketball player growing up. Um, yeah, I can. I can picture my saxophone in the corner, life size picture of Jordan, life size picture of Barkley, uh, and then just like a bunch of science experiments on the shelves. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, what's going to be the score of uh, the Eagles winning the Super Bowl? I, I'm calling. I'm calling it for the Eagles 27-20. Close game. Uh, you think it's going to go? It's going to be close towards to the end, right? I. You know what? I, I'm hoping for a good game, but. I thought the same thing was going to happen in the NFC Championship. I thought that was going to be a close game. I thought whoever had the ball at the end was going to win. And, man, that did not happen at all. We demolished that team. Well, I, same I, thing I, with the Giants. We came out yeah. the same thing. I thought the Giants, I thought it was going to be
1: NFC East matchup. We know each other's going to be a close game. But totally. Crushed that I team. thought the Giants were
2: going to come out swinging because they, were, they had momentum on their side the last three, four games. They had taken that win from us, I think, the second-to-last game of the season. And, you know, it 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 looked like momentum was in their favor, and hurt. You know, Jalen was like questionable; wasn't sure if he was one hundred percent. hadn't played enough lately, so it was like I was kind of nervous about playing the Giants, honestly. Um, and then it was over. It's was like, okay, Forty Nine ers, what's up? What's up? Best defense in the <laughs> league. Who? <laughs> yeah, and
1: uh, San Reddick went to Temple, which is my alma mater as well. It's super. I cool. love watching that dude play. He yeah. is just a madman. Yeah. Well. 27 20 i like that score andy Reid has to give philly a super bowl
2: he owns not us this man. hanging he, he did this one right he <laughs> built us up for years and then just bailed on us <laughs> i he needed you. to go though
1: it was time all right uh matthew where can people contact
2: you find out more about Jushi. Um, yeah you can find us at tasteology.com um, I don't partici- uh, particularly partake in social media so I'm not super prevalent on Instagram or anything like that but um, yeah you can find us at tasteology.com um, you can find me on LinkedIn um, yeah I'm around thanks so much for doing this really appreciate it dude thank you man it was a pleasure to meet you